The History of Alternative Podcast. A historic look back at everything alternative. Rise Against is ready to go back into the studio to make sure that our 2021 won't suck as bad as our 2020. For a lot of us, present company included, Rise Against checks all the boxes. Cool band that became successful on its own terms. Punk rock roots. Lyrics that speak to social concerns and personal issues. Hooks for days. Killer songwriting, killer musicianship, and a frontman whose voice balances world weariness with an occasional splash of optimism. This right here is the History of Alternative Podcast. I'm James Van Ossel. That's John Manley. Hey, JVO. Did you know this week's sponsor is Wintrust? It's true. Visit Wintrust.com for locations and information. So Tim McElrath is in the studio with this week, and this is a political year. It's a political moment. And what we have here is a political band. If we were on the radio right now, we'd have to provide equal time to Kid Rock, but we're not. So let's get into it. <laughs> Tim, how important is music as a voice for social issues? Music speaks to people in ways that few things can and do. Um, and that's something that I've sort of, uh, I'm constantly a student of and learning about, you know, um, music cuts through the noise. Um, you can find studies that will tell you that music has a bigger influence on young people than their parents, their religion, their teachers, their friends, even, you know, um, I think that music is, is constantly underrated, you know, in terms of how big an impact it has on people. So if you were to couple music with ideas of change and awareness and, um, and advocating for causes and that kind of thing, it really turns music into this really potent vehicle for a message. And that's something that Rise Against has found over the, the years of our career. So when we think about political songs, um, there are a lot of avenues that people have chosen to get their message across. What do you think makes for like a great political song? Is it like the subtle, unassuming, you're halfway through a song before you realize there's a message? Or is it, are you a bigger fan of the, you know, hit you over the head, raging as the machine style? What makes for a great political song? in your opinion? Oh, that's a good question. That's something that I'm all, always grappling with. It's because you're right. Cause what makes for a good political song? Like, it, first of all, it's gotta be a good song, right? Cause like you, you could have a great message about a, a very worthy cause. And if it's not a good song, people aren't going to make it half, even halfway into it. That would be my entire high school dance career right there. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible band. Good message. <laughs> well, we, we don't always land with all our ideas here. So you, you guys hear the, you guys hear the ones that work that worked out. Um, and then I think, you know, there's so many political bands, like you mentioned Rage Against the Machine or like Anti-Flag or um, Against Me, but you could also talk about Bruce Springsteen and Neil Young, and you could talk about, you know, CCR, you know, like there's, everyone has a different approach to it, you know? Um, so part of what makes it a good political song is it's gotta be good. And a good song is written with like honesty and authenticity. Like if you're, trying too hard or you're trying to like really jam a message into some chords people are going to hear that you know and and they don't respond to it for me i've turned to like storytelling um with our songs i've tried to take my idea and instead of just write it down like academically i want to tell a story i want to, i want to have a character you know because i think that that's what people really um, identify with and, and especially now in this like really polarized world that we live in like I, I like I firmly believe that as you 
Because, you know, we all wake up in a world nowadays where we're firmly entrenched in our beliefs and our side and our tribe, you know, and the other side is firmly entrenched in their side. And, and you know, as well as I know, like few things that you're going to say to your buddy who's on the other side are going to change his mind, you know, like there's that, that eureka moment of you guys sitting at the bar arguing about healthcare, gun control, immigration reform, police reform, that eureka moment doesn't really come, you know, like you're so, you're, you're firmly in your side, he's firmly in his side. And as I've thought about that, like, well, then what does bring us out of these, you know, these hard positions? And to me, it's storytelling, you know, it's art that tells a story that doesn't necessarily hit you over the head with like an agenda or a banner. And it's more just like, well, let me just tell you what happened to me, you know, or let me tell you what happened to my friend, or let me tell you about what's happening you know, to these people somewhere in, on another side of the planet, you know, and that's what cuts to the noise. And so that's what art is. So whether, whether you're making film or you're making, you know, you're, you're making a painting or whether you're writing a song or even, even a podcast. I mean, you guys are telling stories, you know, this is what you're doing, this is what we're doing. Like that's what cuts to the noise. And so that's the approach that I've always taken to my songs is, is, is telling a story. So what are some examples of songs that maybe struck a chord with you growing up or, or, or still strike a chord with you? What are, what are some good political songs or emblematic songs? The first one I can think of is the song Ohio, like Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young. It made me want to know more about like, what, what is that song about? You know, when I first heard it, it was obviously Neil Young was telling a story. It was pretty literal, you know, four dead in Ohio, you know, um, I wanted to know what tin soldiers were. I wanted to know what Nixon had to do with it. You know, right. uh, I wanted to know more about it. And then you learn about it and then you realize, oh, this was this crazy um, event in, in history before I was around. But then you, you start to see where are these events still happening or what preceded that event or what conditions existed to, for an event like that to, to, to happen. And then, and then where did Neil Young come in, you know, like, and why did he decide to put this song together? And then you, know, you talk about what makes a good political song like that. I think people think of like political songs as, as songs that live in the margins sometimes. But when you think of that song, that's a song that lives in our, the jukeboxes in every bar in the world. You know what I mean? Like that was a commercially successful song. It wasn't just this really, um, you know, obscure singer songwriter telling a story about a college campus in Ohio, that song went on, you know, to be part of the fabric of our culture, you know, and that's when you know you've really written a, a meaningful song. I've always been such a fan of kind of the cheekier uh, political songs because there's some sort of weird satisfaction, I guess, as like a punk rock kid, right? Where you can, you watch the people who the song is potentially about embrace the song without realizing what the message is. I always think about this uh, come election years when everybody uses, you know, born in the USA and you're like, Hey, not for nothing, but you do realize what that song means. Right. right. And nobody ever does. And there's, I've always kind of enjoyed that aspect of things. I mean, you know, F the police is F the police. There's no, denying what that is but you know like 
monkeys gone to heaven. You would never think of that as a political song, but that's literally the whole thing is like the climate has been destroyed and everyone's dying in oil. Right, right, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, those songs I absolutely love. I was just explaining, I was just explaining Born in the USA to my daughter uh, the other day because she was kind of surprised I was rocking out to it. You know what I mean? And I was like, well, actually, there's a lot lot to the song that, you know, you should know about. Um, Even though all you hear is the chorus in a car commercial, maybe, but like, check it out. Um, And that was kind of what we were doing with our song, Hero of War, um, which was an acoustic song off the Appeal to Reason record. Um, And the layman who just kind of like heard the chorus maybe heard it as kind of like this sort of patriotic song, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think, whereas the song itself was about a tortured soldier who went into something with good intentions and came out of it having, you know, killed an innocent person and was like questioning what he was doing, you know, based off of a real story in a documentary called The Ground Truth, which is about a soldier from Chicago, actually. So I was like kind of inspired. And that was, I wanted to write that because of his story, but I also wanted to write it because like, Rise Against has a lot of uh, military fans, fans in the military, um, which was especially apparent when we go overseas. Yeah. And those, and like Germany, and all of a sudden you're like, wait, you're not German? Like, what's your, what's your story? What's your accent? You know, like, and then you'd, re- you'd learn like, oh, like, there's Americans everywhere. And then a lot, that was like kind of the height of the Iraq war. And I'm reading the same headlines you're reading, but the stories I'm hearing from these fans were different than the headlines I was reading. You know, they were, I thought these stories need to go into a song and they need to be told, you know, because the experience that like the Bush administration wanted us to hear and the experience that like these fans of ours, you know what I mean, were, were telling us there was, there was disparity between the two. And so that's where Hero of War came from. Um, but if you were, you know, just like born in the USA, if you were just to kind of hear it in passing, you're like, oh, Hero of War. Yeah, totally. You know, but if you get to the whole song, it's like, oh, there's, there's more to it. So yeah, I like the layers that you're talking about. For sure. I, I love that stuff too. I mean, for me growing up, I would hear songs like Bonzo Goes to Bitburg by the Ramones or mm-hmm. the Clamp, or Clampdown by the Clash. Yeah. I had no idea of what the message was. I just thought these are cool songs. And then as I aged and learned more about the universe, I went back, I'm like, oh, that's cool. They, they delivered a message in that really catchy form. And yeah. we, we've seen examples this year, especially uh, people complaining to Tom Morello, like, if you're going to include politics in your music, I don't want any part of you. And, you know, his message back was basically, where, where have you been? We've been this way since day one. Have you had experiences like that in Rise Against where people have been like, hey, bro, what's with the politics? Were they surprised to learn that all along you've been, you've been doing this? Yeah, all the time. It's really funny, you know. And I remember that just being a kid growing up in Chicago and going to see, like, I saw Nirvana at the Aragon Ballroom and, like, you know, was it 93? And it was like, I remember just being there and looking around. I'm, I was right in the middle of it. I was right up front, you know. And I'm looking around, I'm like, these, these are the kids that beat up Kurt Cobain, <laughs> you know. And the kids that were beating me up in high school, you know, and going to see Rage Against the Machine at the Aragon Ballroom and thinking like, I don't think that they're understanding like what he's saying, you know, and they didn't really care. So that's something that I was like acutely aware of growing up. And so getting into Rise Against, um, I never expected us to like be at that level. I never expected us to play Aragon Ballroom. You know what I mean? We were just kind of like a punk rock band. And so it's funny because in punk and punk and hardcore, being a political band, 
people accuse you of preaching to the converted. You know what right. I mean? That, that was the critique. It was like, oh, great guy from Rise Against. You just told <laughs> a room for a, a room of 100 people that you're against the Iraq war. And they all agree with you, you know? Like, so like, you know, what do they call it? An echo chamber nowadays? It's like, right. you know, it's like, so you're all just kind of rallying each other up. Like, way to go. You're really, you're really radical. You know, and that was kind of like, their critique that we would sort of, you know, be dealt. And then when the band got bigger and now we're playing to bigger crowds that didn't grow up in punk and hardcore and aren't used to like somebody talking about, you know, war on stage or anything except for like, is everybody high on stage? <laughs> you know, like that's the line. And so then it was more challenging. And so it went from like being accused of preaching the converted to them being like, whoa, 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 we came here to, have a good time. Why are you talking about sweatshops in the environment? <laughs> like, this is my Friday night, bro. Like, <laughs> I don't, don't want to think about this. And so for us, it was always like, this is, I mean, this is the language that we speak. It's who we are as a band. So it was not even that we were um, influenced by that. It's like we were unable to be influenced by it. You know what I mean? It was like, this is, I don't know. This is, this is all we know how to do and how to be. But at the same time, it made Rise Against really exciting because I didn't entirely disagree with that critic that said, you guys are preaching to converted, you know? And I still think that there's a place for that. That's what a rally is. You know what I mean? That's why you come together. It's like a punk rock and hardcore show was like the freaks from all over are coming to like be in a room together and not feel so alone for one night. So like, I think you can call that preaching to converted, but I was like, I still backed it. But I didn't dis disagree with that sentiment. What made it exciting was to be in bigger places and all of a sudden it was like, oh, this is where the fire is and this is where we need to put water. And that became like this new lease on the band, this kind of like new mission, which was really, really cool. It kind of like, it added a little steam to, to, uh, to our engine. And then to this day, yeah, people are like rise against like, why, like when did they get political? <laughs> it's just like kind of, kind of mind blowing, you know, but your name is rise against. <laughs> <laughs> exactly <laughs> like your t-shirt says rise against so i know it's it's yeah it sort of it, it indicates you that people are not always really engaged with what they're listening to so so when, when you guys are starting out um what was i mean deciding to be a political band mm -hmm. is a challenge in itself like that's a difficult decision to make because you're instantly going to be polarizing right like that's just the nature of the beast mm -hmm when you started off and you're trying it out and you're seeing if it works, do you have any like Eureka moments where you look back and there is that, like the kid in the front row that shouldn't be at your show gets it and you saw it or, uh, you know, a music video comes out and you're like, that worked. Do you have any of those moments throughout your career where it was not just encouraging for you to keep going, but a moment where you go, okay, this is a thing. Let's do this now. Yeah, that was, yeah, I can think of a few moments. And like, you know, we were talking earlier, being political was never something Rise Against agonized over. I know bands do agonize over it, but it was something that we were just, it was in our DNA. It was sort of like becoming the singer of a band and being responsible for its lyrics. It was like, I'm just going to put pen to paper and let whatever pour out, pours out, pour out. You know what I mean? And it just so happened that's what was pouring out for me. And then, and that's what I wanted to write about, you know, and music is an emotional thing. So it should, 
it should bring to the surface whatever you are most emotional about. You know what I mean? And like, that's what seemed urgent to me. Like, that's what seemed like the perfect, the perfect top line to like this music we were creating. Um, and then when it, when we found that it landed with people, that was kind of, that was a surprise. We didn't really, I didn't anticipate that, you know? Um, but it let me know there's a really hungry appetite out there for people for music that talks about what's happening in the world. And then as far as like moments that like, what kind of light bulb moments were like, whoa, this is working. I can picture um, the ready to fall video that we made, which if, if people have seen it or if they haven't seen it, it, we filmed it in a clear cut forest in British Columbia, north of Vancouver, like way up by Whistler. And we wanted to draw attention to like, you know, environmental destruction, you know, industry um, and that kind of thing. And we were really inspired by um, a lot of the graphic footage that people like uh, PETA, people for the other culture animals would play. Um, there was that documentary called Earthlings at the time. It was some really graphic footage of what was happening to animals, but also what was happening to the planet. And this was a time where Rise Against was on a major label and we didn't anticipate that we would stay on that major label. So we kind of figured this is our shot, you know? Like we're all, we're, like we play in a band, but we're all students of music. We've seen all our favorite bands do that trajectory, right? You know, like you get signed and then you get dropped and then you go back to your world. And so we assumed that that would be our trajectory. And so it was like, whoa, they're giving us a huge budget to make this video. It might be our last chance to ever make a big video like this. Let's take the approach of hijacking the airwaves. Like if someone's gonna give us three minutes of airtime, and this is this was back in 2005 or six when you, airtime existed. <laughs> there, were, there actually were channels that played videos, you know, that kind of thing. Um, if we're, let's do something that's not just trying to sell, sell a record or sell an album or push a song. Let's take those airwaves and put something on TV that could change lives, you know, and like the expression of pictures worth a thousand words, some of that footage in that video is really jarring, you know? And I feel like for me, who's, I've been, I haven't eaten meat since I was like 17 or 18 years old. It wasn't so much what someone told me. It was some of that stuff that I saw with my eyes where I was like, oh, that's incredibly sad. I don't wanna be a part of that. And so, and, when, and I saw that on somebody who plugged a TV onto a card table at a hardcore show at a veterans hall in the suburbs of Chicago, right? Where there was 50 of us there. But I was thinking if we could have MTV play this and, have, and it had that same effect on even 5% even of the people that see it, like that would be huge. And so like, as we did that, I found that it did have that impact. I still meet people to this day who are like, whoa, that video kind of changed me. And then it was like one of those like mission accomplished moments, you know, like, yes, that was awesome. Like that was, that was a good idea. What's funny is the way you discussed your career trajectory, you just assumed that you'd plateau and hit that downslide that so many other bands have. I think there's something to be said. You are a Chicago band, Rise Against is a Chicago band. There's a certain Midwestern humility or charm or <laughs> self-deprecating sense of humor that I think you've always had that I think makes you unique among some of your peers. Well, that's Chicago, right? That's like, I mean, the biggest band in my role was Pegboy. You know what I mean? Like, that's all I ever wanted. You know? <laughs> like, I wanted to be Larry Damore on a stage at like the fireside. That seemed like the coolest thing in the world, you know? And Chicago didn't let you have delusions of grandeur. 
<laughs> you know what I mean? Like they, we, we don't allow for it, you know? Um, it's, it was a really, it was a great scene, but like there weren't, to, to become a big national or international band, you, it's almost like you had to be one of the anomalies, you know? And like we weren't part of the East Coast or the West Coast. And then we were playing like punk and hardcore, you know what I mean? Which was like, it didn't seem like that was a, a path to success at a time where like Disturb was ruling the airwaves, you know? It's like, if we weren't, I don't know. It, it, yeah, it definitely, it didn't seem like it was gonna happen to us. And even when it happened to our friends, you know, we were touring with Thrice and Thursday when they got signed and we were touring with AFI when they got signed. We got passed over, you know, like the, 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 the emo scene with like taking back Sundowns bands, it was a massive deal and we got passed over. And, and then Jimmy World and at the drive-in and um, Alkaline Trio, like it was, and like we were, and Fall Out Boy, of course, you know, was skyrocketing. And we weren't part of that wave at the time, you know what I mean? Um, and so we kind of just were like, well, we do something different and people don't like it. <laughs> so <laughs> we're like, we have our fans, but maybe we don't, maybe this is yeah, worth The 50 it. kids in the echo chamber exactly. loved it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Know what we saw it as. So when it did happen to us, you know, it was like, whoa. And then the fact that like, it's still, I, I, I would not have put money on like our band as the one that was going to survive all that, you know, but like, it was really, it's incredible that I had them. It's really a crazy thing because yeah, you kind of, you, you kind of nailed it. Like you, your band and being a political and band with a message that doesn't necessarily lend itself to longevity, right? Because one, you can run out of things to say. Two, it's, it's all right, man, I, I get it. I've, I've had it. I, I got your message. I'm good. So it really is a testament, for, quite frankly, to the music that you guys are still alive, kicking and thriving. Like, that's really impressive. The music is like the sugar-coated bitter pill, right? That's it. That's it. <laughs> That's what you have to do. You gotta, you gotta give them something that they like, like. I want to talk about capitalism a song, but I want a big catchy chorus. You know, just as bad. Like that's how that's how you that's how you get people. I mean, that's American Idiot, right? I mean, that whole double album is like this big, huge rock opera of nothing but really, really angry music when you break it down. Right. It's the Trojan horse. You know. It's. Like, <laughs> it's that's. that's that's perfect. <laughs> you get yourself in the door. It's like when I have to give my dog her heartworm tablet and I put it in a wad of cream cheese. <laughs> so yeah. we are all Bernese Mountain Dogs and you are the heartworm tablet, is it, if I want to carry that metaphor all the way through. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I, yeah. I, I saw Rise Against a couple times last year. I was oh. talking about the, the, the strength of the music. Tens of thousands of people at Riot Fest, just this stunning stadium performance but earlier that year uh saw you doing the ghost note symphonies show which right. was this very uh acoustic string based performance uh the uh i have the album over there yeah, uh, just yeah, go yeah. gorgeous gorgeous sounding stuff is that a road you want to keep going down because it, it really was striking to, to see those songs performed in that way and it, having rise against stripped down i thought it was kind of a revelation yeah, that was really exciting. I mean, we've trafficked in acoustic stuff ever since like Swing Life Away, you know? So it's something that we've like, it's a muscle that we've kind of flexed a little bit here and there. Um, I always look at like, you asked the question, is a road, do you want to keep going down? And like, 
I guess the short answer is like, we've never closed roads off. You know what I mean? Like I want to, I want to go, I, I think of the band as like a pendulum. I want to swing over to ghost notes. You know what I mean? And do that and, and play a, a rad intimate show at the Chicago theater and like challenge ourselves to play quiet, like see what that's all about. And then I want to swing right back to riot fest and just get as loud as we can for a lot of people. <laughs> yes. Like, and then, and then I want to swing back to ghost notes. You know what I mean? Like I want that variety. That's what, like, I think if you do anything, it's just the same thing over and over. It, it gets boring, but it also like, it doesn't use all your muscles. You know what I mean? And so it's challenging for us to like play quiet. You know, it's challenging for us to strip down these songs and find, is there a good song here that you could sing around a campfire or is this just like a fast punk song? What I loved about it too, was like, I can think of a, we get off our first record, the unraveling, the very final song mm-hmm. is a song called uh, faint resemblance. Um, I think it's the final song. Anyway, there's a song in there called faint resemblance. And this was recorded, you know, in the year 2000, like a long time ago, people aren't very aware of it. And I played on a ukulele for that record, like almost 20 years later. And I remember my nephew being like, Hey, I love the lyrics of that, of your new song, you know? And I was like, that's not a new song. That's like a 20 year old song. He was like, Oh, (laughs) I was like, well, I love it. And I was like, that's perfect. Like, that's exactly what this was meant to do was to kind of show you these old songs in a different way. Like you might not go back and dig into our debut on fat records, you know, and then make it to the 16th track. Like I get it, but this was a way of like, but showing you that song stripped down lyrics that I'm still really proud of, you know, and presenting it in a different way, you know, cause I feel like rise against has that, or we can, we can be presented in different ways and people will appreciate it. But but I don't think it'll be, I don't think it's, it's not binary. It's not A or B. It's not like we're acoustic band, we're a rock band, whatever. I think I would love to just do all those things. Well, I, I learned, uh, I taught myself the ukulele. John froze up. I want to hear the rest of that. He taught himself the ukulele. Yeah, he did. That's what I did too, actually. I, I, was, I learned ukulele like pretty much just before we did the ghost notes. See, as someone who doesn't really play an instrument, that, that seems like a great confidence builder. Only four strings. It's Less frets. Four, that's, that's, I, you know what? I didn't start till just before Ghost Notes. It was now like two years ago, I guess. And I would recommend it to people. Like, I was talking to Milo from The Descendants, and that's how they wrote songs. And mostly because, well, they're Californians. So they, had, and they, lived, they grew up on the beach. So right. they had ukuleles. But like, um, a ukulele was so portable. So when they were touring in a van and your guitar was in the back in a giant road case, inaccessible, even if you could access it, you weren't going to um, like bring it into the bench seat of the van and play it, you know? So the uke was like just this thing that was like bouncing around the van and they wrote Descendants songs with a ukulele. That's so cool. You're talking about the first album and you know how faint resemblance was buried at the end. We live in this weird time. I don't know. So it's not a weird time. We live in this time where music is consumed more a la carte, song by song. People grab songs, put them on playlists. The art of album creation, of sequencing an album, seems to be not ignored, but it doesn't seem to be as paramount as it was maybe when you were a kid or when I was a kid. How important is it to Rise Against to present that complete vision from track one to track 10, let's say? You know, it's still important to us to do that. And I know that you could probably like you said, like put some data or some, some analytics in front of me that says that people won't listen to music this way anymore. 
and I guess I, I guess the short answer is I just don't care. Like I just, this is the way we want to do it, you know, and not to say it won't change next year or whatever. If we find a way to make this who we are, then great. But in the meantime, we want to make albums, you know, like we want to, I don't want to drop songs every month onto like a streaming service, you know, right. I want to, I want to make an album, you know, I want to make a full song. Hey, you're back, John. Sorry about that. Technology, you know? <laughs> I thought it was just a really great cliffhanger about the ukulele. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to leave it there. Yeah, I stanzed it. I left on a high note. <laughs> yeah, there you go. yeah, totally. Uh, I forgot what we were talking about, but yeah, I think we're going we're gonna to keep making albums. I think, you know, it's fun to put songs out here and there. Like we just had the new song Broken Dreams come out, um, which, which is neat. But I think that uh, there's something about a body of work, you know, that I think is still important. Can we talk about that song for a second? Like, what was, how did that come about? Um, well, so the song existed independently of the DC Comics thing. So I, I don't have a great story about how we were inspired by the comic. And, like, wrote they didn't say, write a song about Batman. You're like, I'll be right back. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> That's not what happened. We've definitely never done that. I, th I bet if we tried it, we would fail miserably too. You know, it goes back to like, you talking about songs and, and like just talking about honesty and authenticity, you know, you gotta like, you just gotta like write and you think about it too much. It's, you're going to wreck it. We would I, I feel like Bruce Wayne is something rise against would write a song against like he, he's all <laughs> yeah. corporate greed and right, yeah. he seems like a villain of a rise against song. Yeah. I never thought about it that way, but you're right. Like a, like a rich guy who thinks he can fix the world. <laughs> Because that's never gotten us in trouble in real life, has it? No, no. I can't think of any, can't think can't think of any examples, right? Temporary parallels, you know? Um, yeah, it was, that thing was, we'd already written it pretty much. And we'd written a bunch of stuff, actually, because we've been busy this year. And when DC Comics approached us, we played them a few uh, songs we've been working on and said, you know, what makes sense with your thing? And they were like this one. And then when I saw the whole graphic novel, I was like, okay, I can see why this one, why you picked this one. Um, and I was really, I was like, not hesitant about the whole thing, but I was like wondering, is there gonna be any real tie in here? You know, like, is this just kind of like, we're putting like a song and a comic existing independently. But the more I talked to like the artist, um, Greg Pulo and uh, Tyler Bates, the soundtrack guy, I realized like there are a lot of parallels to like not just our song and their storyline about like the struggle over humanity and the human condition and the, the demons inside us, but also like graphic novels as like, as like telling stories, you know, graphic novels is like, that's good. Cause that's what we're doing. You know, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier. Just like he's telling a story with a pencil. I'm telling a story with a guitar, you know, we're just trying to cut through the noise and kind of like hold a mirror up to society and say, these are the things that we're dealing with, you know, and what does it look like? And, and will you, and if you see it through my lens, like, is it, how does it compare to the lens that you see it through? Um, do you have any advice for artists in 2020? I mean, 2020 is a weird place, man. Oh do you have any advice or uh, encouragement for artists trying to, figure out a way to use their platform for change? I mean, real... Like, if you were starting a band right now and you wanted to, or, or you said your, your nephew or whatever was, says, I want to start a punk band. I want to do this. I want to be political. 
what advice would you give them as they started out? Hmm. Besides stay off social media, obviously. <laughs> I know it's a whole different world the way that we present to each other what we do than it was when I started. You know, we were still making demo tapes and trying to sell them at tables and that kind of thing. Um, in a world before social networking, uh, use what's available to you and be honest with who you are. You know, be honest with who you are as a songwriter. Don't try to, don't try to be somebody else. You know what I mean? Like be, be you. And I know that it sounds cliche, but like you will be grateful that you did. If you, they can tell what's real and what's not real. And going back to like your Rage Against the Machine uh, analogy, it was like, rage fans like like there are people out there who love and respect rage for doing what they do and being who they are even if they disagree with them completely right. you know like you've met that guy who's just like well i don't agree with them but but they're pretty cool you know like they just kind of stand up for like they see that those guys are 100 percent unapologetically themselves and there's something you can respect about that even if you don't, if you, even if you aren't on the same page. And I feel like that would rise against too, because we play shows all over the world and all over the country where places that yeah, I know people aren't agreeing with what we're saying, you know what I mean? That we're kind of the black sheep at the festival in Northern Wisconsin or whatever, you know? And so, but I see people just kind of begrudgingly kind of like, yeah, all right, I get it. You know, like we might not be on the same page, but like they respect us for doing what we do and, and being consistent and honest about it. Like that kind of authenticity will shine through uh, in your work. So spinning things forward, uh, this was the last studio album we got from you, yeah. Wolves. Well, and you just, you just emerged from the studio. Are, how close are we to new, like a new album or, or more Rise Against Music? Uh, we're pretty damn close. Um, we just need the lights to go back on. <laughs> don't we all <laughs> yeah. yeah but we've been we've been busy kids um the last year or longer you know we didn't when we got off the road for wolves we were already putting together the next chapter of rise against so we're excited for it we were excited to bring it back um yesterday <laughs> you know months ago we were excited to be here with you now doing this stuff in like a a pre-election world uh, obviously everything has changed so when the lights go back on like you can expect us to be there waiting have you has it been surprising to you to kind of not hear a lot of political music in the last couple of years like i feel like the climate is so polarized right now that I, I would feel like we should be getting angry stuff for lack of a better term right, right every 10 minutes and it just doesn't seem to have materialized. It almost feels like we've all, it's like so crazy that we're just tired or like lethargic at this point. But has it surprised you that we haven't gotten more of kind of political music as of late? You know, I would say, look, I mean, it always surprises me. Yes. Like that, but there could be, there could be more, political music like like i'm like i'm the person that vouches for it you know what i mean like i'm, I'm always telling people like like it's so important you know it, people need it like the fans need it like i'm telling you i'm talking to them they want it they crave it don't shy away from it um and then i feel like with our band too it's like 
like political music and commercial success are not mutually exclusive things. You know what I mean? If you're afraid of doing it because you're afraid you're going to alienate fans, like look, look at the landscape. You know what I mean? Like there are people out there who that's what people love about them is that they, they, they tell it like it is, you know? Um, I will say that there's like, there's, there's, there's a couple like stories happening here. There, there, there's some genres of music that are, are not addressing this. And then some that really are, I feel like there's more politics and like, pop music, you know, I mean, a mainstream artist and there have been that I can think of in the last like 20 years of Rise Against, you know, it's like even watching like Meg Thee Stallion on SNL. And like, yeah. that's like, that's, that's a bold statement that nobody was making like five, 10 years ago. And so I'm super impressed with like really huge artists like that, that have a big um, stage. Uh, they are, they are doing things like that. And it's becoming less like stigmatized, you know, because I feel like there was a time where like protest culture was stigmatized. Talking about politics yeah. in a song was stigmatized. It was kind of like looked down on as like kind of campy and cheesy, you know? Um, and now it's becoming a little more mainstream. So I feel like it's out there. Sometimes you have to look for it. I feel like the rock world could definitely use more of it. You know, I feel like we're kind of getting our, our asses kicked by the pop world in terms of politics, which that shouldn't be happening. You know, I feel like I would love to see more rock bands, um, and more people with guitars kind of like talking about this stuff because, you know, I for one would enjoy it. So Tim McElrath, Rise Against, there's new stuff coming really soon. Once this, once this is all over, can we buy you a Beyond Burger? <laughs> Absolutely. Some, some shaved Brussels sprouts with that on the side. I'm an impossible burger guy myself, but you know. <laughs> oh, yeah, those are delicious too. Those, those are, are real good. Get, let's just go get some veggie dogs, Chicago style. <laughs> And can man. you count off all the Chicago style ingredients? Oh man, are you going to test me right now, like on your podcast? Um, no, you don't have to do it. Let's do it. What's well, a, a poppy seed bun? Right. Right. On, onions. Um, some sport peppers. Uh, mustard. Some fluorescent green relish. Like it's got to look like it's radioactive. <laughs> um, and then, like, what do we shake on it? Like, is that just, like... Celery salt. Celery salt, yes. Yeah, yeah. Wait, did I get them all? Is that everything? I think so. I think there's one missing. If you say the K word, I swear to God. <laughs> Never. Never <laughs> that. <laughs> no, no kerosene. Wait, what, yeah. what, what, wait, what did I miss? I think you missed the pickle. Oh, right, the pickle, yes, of course. Big, big pickle spear. Big yeah. pickle spear. Oh, man, that's, that's just the best thing. It's funny, too, because as a vegetarian... I feel like there's there's times where like I have to like defend what I do, um, but whenever we, whenever I'm eating a veggie dog specifically, and someone's like, I don't know how you eat that, and I'm like, man, you got to pick a different kind of meat to defend, okay? <laughs> yeah, that's a bad, that's a bad hill to die on, that's right? Don't yeah, don't die on that hill because I can tell you what's inside this thing. <laughs> Real Tim, thank you so much for doing this. Oh yeah, no, it's my pleasure. It's good to see some familiar faces. Um, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's awesome. The History of Alternative podcast is recorded at the 101 WKQX studios in Chicago. Subscribe on Apple, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't do drugs. Stay in school. 